all I will do is when I get to the editing table, I will delete the middle and put them together. It takes like five seconds. Oh, I know. It's just annoying that you wouldn't even have to do that I know. because our, well, not it's our, okay. my freaking computer is assigned to be a little bitch today. Play me, oh, hot men. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screener. Okay. <laughs> Screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. You want to start that one over? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I kind of like it. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game, and I had never watched Avatar. Until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know we've been going through the series episode by episode, every podcast, and today's episode brings us to um, Season 3, Episode 7, The Runaway. Uh, this episode is directed, oh, excuse me, written by Josh Hamilton. Um, I was going to make a comment also on the writers for these two episodes. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna spoil it for the next one. But, you know, these episodes mm -hmm. kind of go kind of hand in hand with each other. It's kind of auspicious that we'd be watching and reviewing them together. Um, because both The Runaway and uh, the next episode, the, the was it The Puppet Master? The Puppet Master, right? Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they, they're very similar episodes in a way. Both episodes are very kind of Katara-centric uh, to a big degree. And, mm -hmm. and uh, they, I don't know, they seem like they're really, really similar in tone. And being written by, respectively, Joshua Hamilton and uh, Tim Hedrick for the second episode, you can kind of look back, as we tend to do, and see a lot of, I think, commonalities in in these episodes um you know uh, i believe it was josh that wrote um the cave of two lovers um as well as the mm -hmm. chase and i don't know he really loves the group on the run and then focusing in on uh in particular katara mm -hmm. and i i really oh, yeah. i really really enjoy that about the writing but as i was going through it i actually thought I graduated to this level of fandom. You'll be so proud of me. I graduated to this level <laughs> of fandom where I went, this seems like a Joshua Hamilton episode. I wonder if he was the one who wrote it. <laughs> and I was right. There you go. You have graduated. Uh, the episode is directed by Giancarlo Volpe. Always happy to see him in the credit. It is animated by Moy Animation. The episode aired November 2nd, 2007, and the IMDb rating of The Runaway is a respectable 8.1 out of 10. Mm -hmm. And for our fun facts for this episode, Combustion Man being hit in the middle of his forehead with a rock is a reference to the biblical story of David and Goliath. Now, I don't... Like, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, so obviously I'm very familiar with the story of David and Goliath, but I never really made that connection until I read that fun fact. And I mean, I feel like that definitely is a valid connection. Yeah. I don't know if it was intended to be that way, but like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to believe that somewhere in the writing table, they were like, what if we just had him get hit by a pebble and that's what put him down? Kind of like David and Goliath. That would be a really funny reference, don't you think? I could see it. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe. 
Um, and then our second fun fact is that Toph's ability to know when she had won caused the authority to believe the authorities to believe that she was not actually blind. A section of her wanted poster asserts that she disguises herself as a blind person. Um, that is not correct. <laughs> she is most definitely blind. She's super blind. Um, One of my favorite parts, speaking of the wanted yeah. poster, is when when Sokka literally holds it up and she's like, well, I hear the paper. I sound. It sounds like a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's something that. That's a joke that's done multiple times in this episode. Not to get too far ahead, but I love that. Like they keep forgetting that she can't read. <laughs> it's like the funniest joke in the episode. Um, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Mm -hmm. Joshua Hamilton is really good at writing jokes. I feel like that's where he kind of like that's his his uh, lane. And yeah, he, there's some good jokes in this episode. Um, and our third and final fun fact is that it is interesting to note that the officials imprisoned Toph and Katara in a wooden cell, seeing as almost no one outside of Team Avatar is aware of the existence of metal bending at this point. I thought of that when I watched this episode. I was like, wait a minute. This is like an ability that she just discovered like a couple weeks ago at most, like maybe a month at most. And this is something that was considered impossible before she discovered that it wasn't so why would they have put her in a wooden cell <laughs> like i feel I, like that is a bit of a i don't know though because while the art itself is not well known ever since toff figured out how to do it she's kind of been doing it all over the place and i would think they would catch on by now that they're like yeah and that girl the blind girl that's on team avatar um she has like literally smashed open doors and gates and stuff before so um don't put her in anything metal right yeah i don't know i just think that that's a little convenient story-wise <laughs> that they did that it is a little sussy yeah a little sus um and uh that is it for the fun facts not a ton but uh uh, such a not fun episode. So few fun facts. Where's the fun? This episode's about as fun as Katara. <laughs> All right. I can be fun. <laughs> See? Fun. Puts Momo on her head. <laughs> so what did you think of this episode? I uh, I actually loved this episode. It was so good. I wish I had time. Um, as I was watching the both of them earlier tonight, I wish I had the time to watch it a second time. So this is going to be oh, a second. Really? Yeah, this is going to be a second time viewing episode. I think for me, the episode just had such a great pace to it. Like even just starting out, this <laughs> just the scamming montage alone is just like one of my favorite things i was just laughing the entire time watching them every single way they were doing it from like the the games on the street that she kind of like like qui-gon Jin with chance cube she like prevents right. the die from turning the last way and turns it backward <laughs> mm -hmm. just it was great it, it was amazing i loved it totally random um and you i doubt that you've seen this movie but have you ever seen a movie i think it was from 2008 or 2009 called push it had chris evans and dakota fanning in it uh i know of the movie but i haven't actually watched it why okay because 
there is a scene and Chris Evans has telekinesis in the movie. It's about superheroes. And there is a scene that was in the trailers, but also in the movie um, of Chris Evans basically doing exactly what Toph is doing, where he's on the street and they're playing a bunch of, you know, shady street games. And he's using his telekinesis to prevent the dice from rolling onto the wrong number. And I'm like, literally, they copied that from Avatar. (laughs) <laughs> came out after Avatar. Yes, yes, it did. Like even my little brain, I was like thinking of Toph, and like she already did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Again, it it was just it was just so much fun. The episode was just the episode was so much fun at the start, and then it moved really quickly <laughs> into the conflict between Toph and Katara as Katara is there being the mom, as is very, very pointedly, you know, addressed in this episode, that she's lecturing them mm-hmm. on how the games are going to catch up with them, and it's wrong to do this. And, oh my, <laughs> certainly back again, though, I love that Aang is just like, pushes his headband up, he's like, I give you my avatar promise that we won't scam right. anymore. Instantly start goes back to scamming. <laughs> Again, it's part of the humor. I love that just quick whip pan to, you know, the next scene. And it's, it's actually, I don't, it's not a whip pan. It's, um, oh gosh, a match cut. That's what it is mm-hmm. uh, to the next scene. And he's just like immediately starts scamming with Toph and Sokka. Um, I love that. And it just shows like, again, people love to like, I don't know, like soft boy Aang. And he totally is, but he also has a devious side to him. Like, you know, he lies, he cheats, not cheats, but you know, he goes behind people's backs, like when it suits him, because mm-hmm. he's a kid. <laughs> like, and that's just a good example of like, you know, if someone was to make a video of like Aang being a bad kid or whatever <laughs> for however many minutes straight, like that would be in the video. <laughs> Um, that'd be something I would make. I'd be like, <laughs> just an Aang dishonoring all of his ancestors for seven minutes straight. <laughs> right, Aang not being perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, and I love it. I love seeing that side of Aang. Um, it makes him way more interesting, I think, as as a character. Um, the thing that I always found very interesting, even when I first watched this episode way back in the day. Um, is that this is the only episode of Avatar that starts in the middle of the episode. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, with the opening of, like, you know, Toph being taken by the police or whatever. Um, the police, the Fire Nation soldiers. And, uh, you know, and then we cut back to three days earlier. That's the only time in this uh, show that that happens. And I really like that because it it's a good hook if you're like wait whoa what just happened like i know that they've got tension but like i thought they had moved past that (laughs) like you know it kind of it opens up those old wounds from when she first joined the gang and you know she and katara really were at each other's throats and you're like oh my god like katara snap what happened um but I do she, she finally decided she liked the Fire Nation better. She joined the Daddy Ozai Club. <laughs> the Daddy Ozai Club. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, and I've seen I've seen that narrative hook done good, and I've seen it done bad. You know, in various things, mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen it be, and especially when it's a misdirect. You know, where it shows something that you're like, oh no, how could this happen? Is this person betraying the group? And so. And then when you come back to it, it's some like incredibly stilted reason mm-hmm. why it looked like that in the moment. 
and it just like disarms it and it looks really stupid um and of course i've seen it done really well and this is uh this is a version of it where it's done really really well one of the things that i think um helps it and makes mm -hmm. it even better the way that this is executed is that the scene that's shown at the very start of the episode the part that they eventually catch up to isn't at like the end it's not in the third act mm. of the episode it's kind of right smack dab in the middle so right. we more or less catch up to it halfway through and it's not like the final scene of the episode and by then we're like oh my gosh are you kidding me that's how they wound up there like it's just a cool transition yeah yeah no i like that they didn't try to make it the end of the episode because that that's been done a million times before um but uh yeah so i do like that they did that as a sort of narrative hook um and then we get to a really cool training montage i just love watching ang train like for the elements like having not just one but two teachers helping him you know with the water and the earth bending um it's just really cool to see. And I love that he's blindfolded. So he has to use the seismic sense that Toph has taught him um, to kind of sense his surroundings. And it's, it's really cool. Um, and Sokka <laughs> um, coming in with the sneak attack. <laughs> I just, that's like sneak attack. Oh, a sneak attack. <laughs> Sokka sneak attacks don't work <laughs> if you shout them out loud. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> it's so funny um but uh yeah and then they go into town they decide that they want to you know get money because they're running low because there's a running joke in the avatar fandom that the gang is always broke <laughs> they always are um anytime that money is brought up which it's brought up several times throughout the show they never have enough for whatever they're trying to buy like the water the water bending scroll or um uh like the ang's prison bail like <laughs> every time they're always broke <laughs> it's very funny um so it would make sense that Toph would be the one to be like hey even though she's the rich girl it's kind of funny that she didn't bring any money with her um but uh that she's like hey i can get us more money we just gotta be sneaky about it and, and then you get you know as we said that big old uh scamming montage which is very funny all the different ways that they do that my favorite is the uh the cart <laughs> making it look like she got ran over and Sokka being her dad like just piling the money on <laughs> just pile money in his arms yes, <laughs> yes i love it the return of wang fire is the same beard is, it the, is that the same beard that he wore when Aang was in school yes fire wang fire <laughs> um, <laughs> it's his alter ego everybody's got to have one that's so good oh yeah no it was it was really really good that whole yeah, the whole the whole montage at the start is just hilarious um but you know but moving on in the episode it, it introduces us into as i said that conflict between katara and toph um and it really escalates very very quickly because it went well it starts out as a you know oh katara you're a wet blanket you know stop telling me what to do Katara really like gets luxury and goes right for the throat because immediately she's like, oh, it's because your parents aren't here. It's because you miss them. And like, I'm like, whoa, calm down there. Are you sure not a firebender with these burns? Like, relax, Katara. Sheesh. Yeah. She's literally playing therapy. Like I know. So yeah, but you know, she strikes uh she strikes a nerve there with uh with Toph. 
And, uh, you know, when it escalates later on, what I really, really love is, I mean, it kind of goes without saying because it is just the best scene in the episode. Uh, but I love that scene mm-hmm. of uh, Sokka and Toph sitting there yep. um, at the top of the cliff with Katara down in the water. And they both, mm-hmm. you know, talk about her. They talk about her like she's not in the room. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, no, that that's that's one of those scenes that always gets me. Like, it te- makes me tear up because, like, especially when Sokka says that he can't really remember what his mom looked like and that anytime he tries to imagine it, all he can see is Katara. Like, that shit hits hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it really just yeah. shows, like, their dynamic perfectly that she was, even though Sokka's the older sibling, that uh, Katara was the one that kind of grounded him and you know, really helped to take care of him while he was taking care of everybody else in the tribe. Um, you know, he kind of forgets to take care of himself. So it it really, really, or it is really, really emotional. And Katara's reaction to just, you know, silently crying and, you know, kind of going under the water as she's listening. It's just like, oh, you needed to say that to her face. Like, <laughs> I know you're having a moment, like a private moment, you know, with the uh, Sokka and Toph, but like, man, you should have said all that to her face because it would have meant so much to her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and that yeah. kind of leads in. That yeah, leads see, into... and then Sokka and okay. Toph, how, how, what a nice moment between the two of them. You know, what a, what an absolute power couple there. Look at the good communication they have. You know? <laughs> I know, right? I'm screaming, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm not, like, listen, I'm all for Sokka and... <laughs> I'm all for Sokka and Toph, you know, shipping. Um, It certainly wasn't, like, the ship that I was, like, ride or die for as a kid or now. But, like, it's a cute ship. Like, they clearly like each other and have chemistry. But, um, yeah, yeah, as I told you before, it was, like, the second most popular ship. Or, I guess, third behind, you know, Katang and Zutara. Like, those two obviously were the top ones. But then Taka was, like right underneath it was very popular um but uh yeah so anyway getting off on the shipping tangent um, we have to at least every other episode we have to talk about the ships we have to talk about the ships in the show honestly we do because it's such a big part of the show like the shipping wars were real Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was there gandalf (laughs) Uh, so well, especially because we have to really dig for the ships as they're presented to us, because these two episodes also don't have any Zuko, which occurred to me by the second episode of this pair that I'm like, wait, there's no Zuko. Hold up. Um, what? Hang on. <laughs> I, there's Zuko in this, right? Is there not? What are you talking about? There's no Zuko. No, there's no Zuko oh in this God. whole episode. But either one of you them. You know... You know what it is? <laughs> okay, so I've, I've gone, like, way far ahead. <laughs> like, I'm almost done with season three, <laughs> just because it's so good. Um, so I'm getting my episodes mixed up. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I thought he was in this episode, but I'm thinking of a future episode, so that's my bad. <laughs> I literally just had to look up, like, imagine the runaway going, Imagine going through their favorite series, then being like... <laughs> What? No Zuko in these episodes? Well, I'll just keep watching until I get a Zuko episode. Where's my Zuko? Darn it. Literally. (laughs) That's kind of what I just asked. Like, wait a minute. Am I crazy? (laughs) 
you're not allowed to sit down for a helping of Avatar The Last Airbender unless you get at least five minutes of Zuko in your day. Exactly. Um, so yeah, no, this is just one of those, well, both of these episodes are just one story. There's no B-plot to either of them, um, right. which is interesting. So yeah, and once um, Katara and, well, so I think that this is, some people say that this is really out of character for Katara to like want to get in on a scam with Toph, but then you have to remember she stole the water tribe scroll from the pirates. Like she, and you also, and she also disguised herself in the biggest scam ever, <laughs> right? Disguising herself as the uh, what was it called again? The painted lady. The painted lady. Thank you. Yeah, she's she the painted lady scandal just like a few episodes ago, right? Yeah. So painted lady gate. Right. <laughs> So I don't think it's out of character. I think I think that it's perfectly in character for her to get on to Toph about it because they are risking their mission, you know? And the closer, every episode, we get closer to the Day of Black Sun, the invasion of the Fire Nation. So, you know, the Painted Lady, that happened in episode three of this season. We're on, what, seven now? This episode seven? Yeah. So, yeah, seven. so we're getting closer to the biggest, you know, day of their lives basically and the closer that they get to it the more they have to risk you know if they get caught so <laughs> it makes sense that she right. would be like hey maybe you shouldn't do this we have enough stuff you're going to get us in trouble like it makes sense but at the same time i don't think that she would you know i i don't think that it's out of character for her to also want to pull a scam especially if she's thinking it's going to be the last one like this is going to be the big hurrah and then we're done because that's it's too dangerous um, well, and especially because she's not doing it for self-interest. This isn't like the Painted Lady where it was Katara's convictions and she's alone in her principles and it's something that she just feels she has to do. She's doing it kind of in knee-jerk response to mm -hmm. Toph and Sokka and what they said and her wanting to mend that bridge between her and Toph. It's kind of like wanting to be closer with your kids so you ask about their favorite activity and be like, could you show me how to do it? You know, even though you're not sure if you'd even be good at it. Right. Yeah. And I, it, it, that kind of fits with the whole, you know, her being the mom of this episode, like what you just said with her wanting to like bond with her kid, her, her little daughter Toph, um, and prove that she's not like a, you know, stick in the mud or whatever. Um, so yep. yeah, no, I, I think it's perfectly in character for Katara personally. <laughs> Um, and as you'll see, yeah, and then as, as, as Katara's plans go, she goes horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it does not go well for them. Um, they get put in the wooden cell and Toph doesn't have her meteorite bracelet to help, you know, break them out. So yeah, it's not good. And you know why the plan went badly? Why? God, do I want to know? Because it wasn't a, it wasn't a soccer plan. It wasn't the, the the planning guy's plan, right? And although I will say, this is this is the joke I was talking about. Um, the funniest joke in this entire episode is Aang and Sokka sharing one brain cell. <laughs> yes, that is their dynamic. Like these two are great, smart kids, especially Sokka individually. But when you put them together, they share one brain cell, and it is not a smart brain cell. <laughs> and so, when Toph and Katara are like, you know, they're separated, they're angry at each other, they've fought. Um, 
Sokka says to Aang, like, hey, I thought of a way to, like, mend this broken relationship. I'm going to write a note to Toph, or sorry, no, I'm going to write a note to Katara from Toph saying that she's sorry. And so they do, and they give it to Katara. <laughs> she just, the response is so great. I know this is from you, Saga. Top can't write. You're all driving me crazy. <laughs> it's just like an Aang, just like, I can't believe we she, forgot. She like shreds yeah, she up the shreds note. Shreds up the note. Oh my God. And then <laughs> Aang saying, you know, I can't believe we forgot the top can't write. And I love how the next response is, well... I guess now we'll just send a note <laughs> over to Toph saying it's from Katara. Like, mm, we might have the same problem. Yeah, literally she wouldn't be able to read it. <laughs> like, it's such a funny joke and it works on so many levels. <laughs> just a brilliant interaction. Um, and I love I love also how Sokka, Sokka's naming conventions in this episode are horrible. Mm-hmm. He buys his messenger hawk and names it Hockey. Yep. And then he's like, that guy with the tattoo in his forehead has been after us. I think I've got a perfect name for him. Sparky Sparky Boom Man. Yep. I told you that he's And then the there's one. me watching the episode being like, yes, perfect, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> right. No notes. <laughs> yeah. And I, I told you back when he was first introduced, because you were like, wait, is that his actual in-canon name, like Combustion Man? And I'm like, yeah, Sokka's the one that names him. <laughs> and that is, like, literally... No, you... no, 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 no. Combu- no, Combustion Man is his nickname. Sparky <laughs> Sparky Boom Man is, is it... his full name. <laughs> oh, my God. It's his Christian name. <laughs> I'm dying. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's on his birth certificate. <laughs> they just baptize him. Like in the Fire Nation where they, they dump the kid in gasoline once or twice. Oh, God. <laughs> like a Targaryen birth. <laughs> the Fire Nation. No, and, 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 and by the way, I, I did some like deep research, by the way, oh, into... Now, how is it that this guy's power possibly works? <laughs> and I, I thought about it good and hard during this episode without consulting any like fan theories or anything about this. Mm. And like, here is my theory. And I'm sure this is a theory that's been said before because there has been what, 15 years that the fandom has had to chew on this episode and try to come up with explanations. So drawing upon the series itself for any kind of at least lead on it, since I'm mm. assuming it's left unexplained. Yeah. <laughs> I believe is what you said. Yes. <laughs> okay. He is quite an anomaly. Because, I mean, I mean, Spark- Sparky Sparky <laughs> Boom Man is pretty tight-lipped about, he doesn't really talk about himself very much. Right. I imagine ever. <laughs> um, and so I, re- I went back to the episode about the chakras because uh-huh. it's no mistake that he's got a whole tattoo in his forehead thing. And according, according to the guru, the forehead chakra is the light chakra and is connected with illusion uh-huh. and the dispelling of illusions to realize I may or may not have gone back to watch the episode. So <laughs> right. it took me a little longer to finish them. I was doing deep research. Right. Okay. Uh, I might have jumped back to that episode to watch it, but he talks about like the connection between all the 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 elements mm-hmm. and how like seeing them as being different things and different nations is is just an illusion. And I kind of thought about that from the aspect of well, if if there could be so many adaptations of 
you know, fire bending into lightning bending, mm -hmm. or even somebody who ha doesn't have the gift of lightning bending, but is able to use lightning, excuse me, lightning redirection right. or um, heat redirection, the way we saw uh, Roku, wasn't it? Was it Roku? No, it was um, the Fire Lord, Roku's friend. Yeah, Fire Lord Sozin. Sozin, right. We saw Sozin do the, basically the same thing we pointed out, where it's like a heat redirection from the volcano. We've watched Toph just out of nowhere learn and figure out how to do metal bending. Like, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a stretch that this guy would be able to harness something in his chakra and realize that the limitations of firebending are an illusion. And somewhere in his mind make the connection between his thought and and the concussive mm -hmm. combustive power instead of the breath especially because he doesn't breathe out to make the fire he breathes in almost like he's bringing that breath into himself and then channeling it through his chakra after all what is a key element of meditation exercises but controlling your breathing interesting um yeah i I didn't really think about it like that. I don't know if anybody else has really thought about it like that, but my, like, uh, like I said, we never find out what this guy's deal is because it's, he's just one of those cool background Darth Maul characters, as we said. Um, but I think, and I think that this is the most we can really surmise from it, that he was probably experimented on, which is why he's got the missing half of his body. Um, and that he is kind of in a way a freak of nature in with amongst firebenders that he's able to do this. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the most I could gather is that he was probably experimented on and he really is just an anomaly in terms of bending. Like there's, there's no other person at least yet that can do that, what he does. So um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but that is interesting to you. You just want him. You just want him to be, you know, like Bucky. This guy's like the summer soldier, and and the Fire Nation brings him out. They're like thirteen, charcoal, freight car, eleven. Right. Can... I mean, honestly, it would make sense. <laughs> this guy deserves his own episode. He needs his villain origin story. <laughs> we need to know how he was clearly the childhood best friend of like one of the hero characters. God. No, just gonna be like friggin' Sozin and Roku all over again. <laughs> or actually, yes. I guess it... we need to stay consistent. So yeah, um, they end up, or I guess Katara. So they're in her and Toph are in the cell, and they are able to break out with earthbending. And so Katara, being resourceful and awesome, uses her own sweat as you know she has no source of water, so she uses her own sweat as a source of water to break her and Toph out. And it's great and very smart. And then they have a so cool. I love her. She just starts jogging in place. <laughs> and Tom is like, Katara, are you okay? Right. Um, and uh, that actually comes in later in the next episode. Like that, that's brought up that she uses her own sweat for water. Um, and then, yeah, she she and Toph escape, and her Ang, Toph, and Katara all. Sorry, her and Sokka and Toph all have a big fight with Sparky Sparky Boom Man or Combustion Man, whichever you prefer. And uh, yeah, it's great. And I mean, it's short, but it's great. And then we're on the run and Sokka or on the run again, I guess. And Toph wants to send a letter to her mom. And that's the last that we ever see of hockey. <laughs> 
I know. I lo- okay, so so <laughs> I love hockey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love hockey. I just do. Yeah, it's it's so funny that they literally have this pet for one, not even one episode, <laughs> and then he's never seen again. <laughs> He's never even mentioned. What? Yeah. No. Ever. No. Everything comes back. No. You said. T- you said that everything in the show comes back. Hockey can't just be a one-time character. Come on. He shows up in Legend of Korra. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's on this. He's like frozen in an iceberg, and he comes back later. They unfreeze him. Like, please. I would love it if in Legend of Korra there was like a statue dedicated to Sokka. It had hockey. <laughs> like. That would that would be a great like callback, <laughs> like that. This is Sokka and his pet hawk. Hawka. Hawk. Wow. Um. But uh, yeah. So I mean that that's pretty much the whole episode. So what would you rank this one? Now, see, like I told you, this episode ranks actually pretty dang high for me because I feel like this episode has a lot going for it. It's the humor is impeccable. Again, like, thanks, Josh, for the for the um, amazing writing on this. The uh, the action is well paced. The story never has any dull dead spots in it at all. The um, the heartfelt moments between Sokka and Toph and Toph and Katara are so well done. Um, the way that they get trapped, even though a little contrived, is clever. And the way they get out is twice as clever. And then he has an awesome like action sequence at the end. Like the episode is really a full package for me. And the fact that it focuses so wonderfully on Katara, who we love. You know, anytime it's a Katara episode that delves into her character, that delves into her power and her abilities and has her learning something new. Um, not just waterbending, but you know, emotional stuff emotion bending if you will then i feel like you know how can that not be a top top episode so i don't know for me this episode is a clear like very clearly they left a digit off of the imdb rating because this one's like a 9.1 for me wow see i'm (laughs) i'm gonna disagree (laughs) um oh no yeah yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like the episode, but like I said, it's not one that I watch a ton when I go back to watch the show. Um, just because it feels like filler. It is filler, let's be honest. Like it's fun and it's good character stuff, like good character work, especially between um Katara and Toph. But in terms of, again, it's because I know what's coming and because I know how well intertwined the second half of the season is story-wise, this just feels like, okay, we got to fill up the time before the big evasion event, you know? Um, we got to have them interacting with the Fire Nation and, you know, going on these fun adventures very much like season one. Um, but, you know, very light stuff, whereas it gets much heavier and darker as the season goes on. So for me, I think that it, honestly is an eight out of 10. Um, so just, you know, 0.1 below what the rating is. Um, not one of my favorites, but certainly not on the lower end either. Just kind of one of those middle episodes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad that you liked it though. Like I was honestly expecting you to like shit on it. (laughs) I don't know why. No, I, no, I really like it. I, I totally get that. Like, 
if you took this episode out of the story, it would debatably the larger story wouldn't be wouldn't be touched. But like, I don't know. I saw, I saw personally, I saw the developments in it as not being like vital, but I feel like they made a really good bridge into the next episode. In a way, I almost feel like the two episodes are almost like a two-parter where even though it's not crucial to the next episode, it's like a runway that leads up to the second episode. And the second episode like really takes off with some things that like started in this episode. Um, so in my opinion, I feel like it's not so much that it lends itself to the grander whole story. So I agree with you, but I feel like without it, the second episode that we're about to get into would be lacking because it provides some context for some things, in my opinion. Yeah, that's totally fair. <laughs> Speaking of the next episode, mm -hmm. episode eight, The Puppet Master is written by Tim Hedrick. And I mentioned this when I was mentioning the other one, how I had you know, taking some time to look back at, at the, at the writers on this. And, um, you know, Tim, let me pull up my list of episodes. He's, he's done again. Um, you know, I feel like there are once again, common threads that you can find because the last episode that had Tim and, uh, Hedrick as the writer was Sokka's master. Mm -hmm. And so once again, we see this like a one and another member of, you know, the water tribe is once again getting a sort of a, uh, a master, except in this case, um, not so benevolent and nice of a master, not as well-meaning. Um, but the episode also carries uh, quite a bit of weight and also he has a conspiracy uh, attached to it, which I will remind you that Tim Hedrick was also the one who wrote not only the city of walls secrets mm -hmm. which i know you yes. love um but but he also in season two wrote another episode that you really liked the swamp mm -hmm. which again had <laughs> things appear to be one way and then you peel them off and then of course tim gets to go full circle on his whole water bending and plants yep. thing they're like do you do you still want to make that episode tim <laughs> just to kind of wrap up the whole like water and the plants thing he's like yo yeah yeah hold on i got a script for ready for this right <laughs> so i i feel like it has a lot in common with like previous episodes almost like if you took only the episodes that tim did some of them you could almost make a little story arc out of them just them oh yeah i think that tim is a is very much like me a big fan of horror because there are always horror elements in his episodes whether it's the swamp with the mysterious monster that's you know haunting them or if it's city of wall and secrets where you know it's like the creepy dy dystopian orwellian vibes or with this where it's just straight up horror <laughs> like you know with body graphic horror and things like that like it's 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 freaky so you know i'm all for it i love I love horror, so I wish that they actually had more episodes like this where they were able to get a bit darker, but I'm glad that we have this one. And it's very, it's very perfect for where we are right now in the year because it is, as of right now, as we're recording, October 16th. So this is like perfect Halloween time to be watching this episode. It is peak spooky season. <laughs> right. So it's only too bad for everyone listening that you're going to be listening to this probably in like December. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Right. But we're enjoying the spooky vibes. Right. <laughs> um, the episode is directed by Joaquim Dos Santos, um, who, again, we've seen do a bunch of episodes so far in season three. 
Um, it's animated by Jam Animation, and the episode aired November 7th, no, excuse me, November 9th, 2007. Mm -hmm. The IMDb rating of The Puppet Master is, once again, 9.1 out of 10. You know, they, they, they very clearly mixed up the ratings on this here. I, I'm sure it was supposed to be a 9 in The Runaway, too. I mean, they go together, right? <laughs> right? Um... <laughs> <laughs> I was actually surprised. I thought that this episode was going to have a bunch of fun facts like, oh, this episode was going to be banned by the network, but they allowed it to air anyway. Like, I was expecting a lot of fun facts about this, but honestly, it was kind of scarce pickings. I was like, what? Uh, you were, like, expecting these, like, conspiracy yes! level, like, dark, <laughs> the the almost lost episode, yes! the kind of thing people make YouTube videos about later. Well, literally, that's exactly what I was, I was expecting, but nope. This is just another episode that was aired. Um, but so uh, our first fun fact is that this episode was conceptualized with the name The Dark Side of the Moon, which I'm so glad that they didn't end up using that because that's terrible. <laughs> like, Very contrived. Yeah, and it just it sounds like a Power Rangers episode. Like, <laughs> don't, don't use that. Um uh, our number, our number two, our second fun fact is that during Hama's flashback, a Fire Nation ship is raised up in ice by waterbenders during the Southern Water Tribe raid. This is the same ship seen in the first episode that Aang and Katara explore and inadvertently set off a signal. I, I knew uh, I'd seen it before. I knew <laughs> I it. told you, even little things come back. <laughs> this world is so... Except for hockey. I know. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Sweet Prince. Uh, <laughs> Pour one out for my homie, for my hockey. <laughs> right. Um, and then the third and final fun fact is that this is considered to be one of the darkest episodes of the series, as this was a Halloween special released in October slash November of 2007. It has many, or it has many of the conventional elements of a horror film. Now, in England, or I guess not just England, but the UK, it was released on October. 30th or 25th? I can't remember. It was one of those dates. Um, so it was actually released earlier, right in time for Halloween, whereas for us, it was released the first week of November. I don't know why they did that. That doesn't make a lot of sense, but whatever. I mean, they, they get our movie releases earlier in the UK too, so I mean, they might as well get this too. Yeah, I don't know why, but... <laughs> So uh, they're in the future, no matter what way you cut it, they're in the future, whether they're hours in the future or weeks in the future. Right. So I'm very curious. What did you think of this episode? Well, um, I am, I, as I said from the start, I maintain that these two episodes are kind of linked at the hip. And so I actually really, really enjoyed this one a lot. Um, I really enjoyed especially the horror elements as right at the start of it, I wasn't really sure where the start of it was going to go with the creepy stories around the campfire, which was such a funny, cool sequence. Mm -hmm. And then like with many of Tim's episodes that he writes, you know, the old lady comes popping out with a story for them and everything. And, you know, and come bring, you know, that she has an inn nearby and that they shouldn't be out in the woods. And I'm just like, people in the fire nation are not this nice. <laughs> So very clearly, she's got to be evil, <laughs> because why is she not suspicious of them right. at all? And then, you know, to, to jump ahead just in summary of her as a character and the subverted expectations, though, then, you know, Sokka's really suspicious of her, so I'm like, aha, she is evil. And then it's all like, oh, no, no, she's not. She's from the Southern Water Tribe. And we're all like, oh, she's good. She's not evil. 
And then she starts being all evil again later. And I'm like, uh-oh, maybe she actually is evil. Right. So, like, it really takes us on, like, a big circle around it. And so I really love the aspect, uh, that aspect of subverted expectations mm-hmm. when a story can subvert the expectations and then re-subvert them successfully. Right. <laughs> and this episode does just overall an amazing quality, like, of this episode is just that it can do that. Oh, yeah. And not only... There's two subverting of expectations, um, not just with her being not evil, but, you know, the first is that, you know, they're very suspicious of her, the gang, and they go snooping around the house and they find that she's got this locked room with a chest in the middle of it. And like, so they break into the room, they open the chest and there is a comb, like a whale tooth comb from the water tribe. And so the first you know, subverting of expectations is that she's not actually from the Fire Nation. She is from the Southern Water Tribe, just like Katara and Sokka. And then the very next scene, we see that the subversion or the trope is subverted again when we find out that she is actually a waterbender just like Katara. And she is one of the last of the Southern Water Tribe uh, waterbenders since they were all killed. Specifically, specifically a soup bender as she shows in the scene. (laughs) Yes. I love that. As a matter of fact, she bends just about everything except water. <laughs> right. And I love that they actually had a little callback to Bato of the Water Tribe with Aang's hatred of the sea, pr- of the sea prunes. <laughs> He's like, I steer clear of yes. the sea prunes. <laughs> oh, man. He never <laughs> forgot how bad they were. <laughs> I love it. Yep. And Toph can't even see them. She just has to smell them. Right. <laughs> um. But uh, yeah, and I don't even think that we mentioned it, but the voice actor for Hama, the the evil waterbender, is Tress McNeil, who is very famous across cartoon animation, live action, but mostly for animation. Um, and I, I know that she does Skinner's mom from The Simpsons. She does a character from Animania- Animaniacs, I think is what it's called. Um, just like so many iconic performances and this is no different this is an incredible performance from her um she brings such an evil wickedness to hama but also like such a sweet kind of sincerity like how she really wants to teach katara you know the ways of the southern waterbenders and of this technique of blood bending that she's developed um but you know when katara doesn't doesn't go along with it she goes all evil evil mode on her and it's very scary um yeah, she really is just, like, the terrifying evil witch through and through. Because, like, even just visually, just the fact that she's, like, she transforms just very subtly from, like, kind of dried-out old lady mm-hmm. into, like, actual hag right. is just horrifying, yeah. terrifying. I love her, uh, I love her design. Um, but... Yeah, and of course, Sokka being, you know, the smart one of the group, he is immediately suspicious, and rightfully so, um, of her. And I love the kind of, like, back and forth that they have of, like, you know, him snooping around the house and, like, Katara trying to ease and be like, you know, this is rude. You shouldn't be doing this. We're going to get caught. Like, (laughs) when they find the chest and they're all, and Katara's like, this is crazy. I'm leaving. And then (laughs) Toph manages to open it and she immediately comes back. She wants to see what's inside the chest. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was watching for that. 
she's like, I'm leaving. And the instant it unlocked, her face is like mushed with everyone right. else's all trying to see what's in it. Yeah. She's like, mm, you want to be in on the scam, don't you, mom? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so Hama basically takes Katara under her wing in the middle of the episode and kind of trains her or teaches her about different techniques of waterbending, whether it's taking from the plants or, you know, Katara brings up how she used her sweat from the previous episode. Um, and grabbing the water from the air is very, you know, there is water in the air. So why wouldn't you be able to grab it? Like, I got to tell you, though, it gives me a little bit of Agatha Harkness and Wanda. Oh, for sure. From from WandaVision vibes, the whole the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you have a seasoned professional of what she does, whether it's witchcraft or waterbending, teaching a very powerful, but still, you know, un unseasoned you know young and inexperienced right um with still so much to learn and you know and very funnily they kind of very much like agatha and wanda my girls um they katara uses hama's technique against her just like wanda does it with agatha in the finale (laughs) so it's it's great parallel um but uh yeah man let's talk about that fight scene though because wow (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> man yeah it's uh it's a very intense and especially because it's two waterbenders we haven't seen a waterbender duel like that since uh the waterbending master and katara sparring and f- having their big fight in what was it was it the third to last episode of season one yeah yeah with master Paku. okay yes because that was a very intense fight and i mean that was you know ages ago story-wise anyway it was ages ago in events from where we are now Mm -hmm. katara has far you know far advanced since that point um and you know like you said she's dealing with somebody who in terms of raw power is not as powerful as her but the techniques that she's using she is a seasoned veteran at them this is somebody who broke herself out of a fire nation pretty much maximum security prison for waterbenders out purely by using the dark side of techniques of waterbending because the fight scene is intense it's absolutely intense but coming into those scene is something that you had foreshadowed Mm -hmm. for pretty much all of season two so we might as well just have an extended conversation about it which is bloodbending Mm -hmm. And wow, the bloodbending is super messed up. Yep, yes, it is. Yeah, it's it's pretty much in concept that it is, it, it is like the dark side of water bending in so much as she is taking the water that is inside a living thing, and bending it to move them and force their body, although kind of clumsily. You know, she's not exactly fine-tuned the movements. It's very much like the episode says, like a puppeteer with a marionette. Mm. They're clumsy, arm-swingy kind of movements. They're at least precise enough to get a key into a lock and turn it. But the horrifying thing of imprisoning somebody else in such a state that you can manipulate their body and they have no power over it Mm. anymore is, is, (laughs) is awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and, you know, bloodbending, as you'll soon discover, is very OP. Like, it is ridiculous. Like, waterbenders in general are just so OP. They have so many, like, 
I guess, subset of bending, whether it's ice or steam or blood bending or whatever, um, healing, like <laughs> they just have so many, yeah. but that makes sense because water bending, as it's been said from the beginning is the element of change and versatility. So, you know, it would make sense that it would have all these different subsets and, yeah, blood bending is by far the most OP of any bending type. Um, and it gets expanded on very greatly in Legend of Korra, much like, you know, metal bending does. Lots of the subsets of bendings are expanded on a lot. Um, yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's it's very scary. And as a kid, that was terrifying. Like, when, we're, when we first discover, like, when the gang starts to put it together, like, when they find the the Fire Nation people that have been taken by Hama using bloodbending and they've been hidden under this mountain. And the moment the Toph, like, because I think the line is Sokka's talking to an old man that was almost taken by Hama's bloodbending, but the, the sun rose before he was able to be fully taken to this mountain and he was able to escape. And so they're talking to this old man, trying to figure out what's happening. They're thinking it's a spirit, like the moon spirit. Um, right. But, uh, you know, Sokka kind of... Like, Which Sokka vehemently defends her. <laughs> she is a very, very nice a gentle, lady. gentle, loving lady. She rules the sky with compassion and lunar goodness. <laughs> yes. Lunar goodness. Oh, I love that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, like, Sokka's kind of, like, wondering, like, why would a spirit take a, a bunch of people to a mountain and then Toph suddenly, like, this is what always gives me chills. She's like, oh, no, I did hear people under the mountain. Like, that's like one of those lines where you're like, oh, shit. And one of the most horrifying things about that, which they never really go into in the episode, is why was she doing it? Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, the mind could make the assumption, which isn't any less horrifying, that she just compulsively wanted to create a prison for people in the Fire Nation the way that she was imprisoned by the Fire Nation herself. Right. And I'm just like, are you seriously just like trapping all these people to let them just starve to death and die in a cave in the mountains? Lady, are you nuts? A little bit. <laughs> you know, however many years in prison will do that to you. Um yeah. It's... My God. Well, then you have to wonder how long she's been doing it too, because she only does this during the full moon, and the full moon only shows up once every like what is it, thirty-one days or something mm -hmm. like that, and she's got a whole bunch of people. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if there was probably at some stage of the episode, like this should have been the fun fact. It's totally made up, but. I bet that there was at some stage an animatic of um, like maybe skeletons that were left hanging in the shackles of people that she'd been like left there for years. Um, like that, I think that probably would have been too dark for Nick, but like, man, what an unsettling thought that would be. Well, especially because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just recalling, trying to recall from memory, but it's like, it, it, not like she was old when she escaped the Fire Nation prison. She was relatively she still no youngish. She like mid-30s. Yeah. Yeah. And now yeah. she's like, like she 80. looked pretty young. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's basically just a giant revenge vendetta of, you know, I this happened to me and I'm so incredibly traumatized by it so i want to extend that trauma to the people that i think have hurt me which are the fire nation even though the citizens that she's collected are totally innocent um as far as we know and so 
yeah, it's really messed up. And but it's very compelling because you can see how she kind of came to that conclusion. You know, it's not just mm -hmm. that she, you know, is some Southern Water Tribe hick that hates the Fire Nation because she's a hick. And much like Sokka Kantara before her, like, you know, they haven't been exposed to the world. Like, no, she was directly affected by the Fire Nation soldiers that took her from her people, killed them, and then left her imprisoned um, for who knows how many years. And so, yeah, it's you can see why she kind of did what she did. That doesn't make it any less horrifying or t or awful, but um, yeah. So it's it's a very she's a very compelling villain. I feel like just a one off villain. Um, and uh, like I said, when the big reveal of like her actually doing the the blood bending, and the way that she kind of moves her hands like a marionette puppet, like you said, it's. It's very unsettling, mm -hmm. and the sound effects. Oh God! Oh, the, you can hear the blood, like just ugh, <laughs> just being moved the way it's not supposed to. And it's it's really, really. I'm honestly that's why I'm surprised that this episode really got made. Well, not necessarily that got made, but that it aired um, because it is just such. And you know, you, there are obviously much darker connotations that you could take with something like blood bending, but they're not going to do that. Um, but just the fact that like they allowed something like it to be shown on a kid's show, um, you know, something just so horrifying and just unimaginable having that kind of power over somebody like it's it's surprising that they allowed it. But I'm glad they did because it's a great episode. And it, like I said, it gets expanded yeah. on greatly in Legend of Korra. So, um, yeah, what's a, a real what's a real interesting, you know, twist in the fight, which is the whole, you know, what we're talking about. Um, you know, she she uses the bloodbending to to use Sokka and Aang mm -hmm. against against Katara, whether it's to have them attack her or then, which I thought was an absolutely insidious twist and tactic, which is to have them attack each other to run Aang right. through on Sokka's blade. That would have ended the series real fast. <laughs> right. uh, to get impaled by the space sword, like there's no coming back from that. You know, she, he doesn't need a second scar. No. Um, but you know, but then, but literally to use other human lives as you know, the bait to distract Katara during the fight is just low. It's oh, yeah. just low. Like, I thought she was low already, and just from finding out what she had done with those people, but then to do that in a fight, I'm just like, oh no, oh no, not she needs to be put in the dirt, yeah. and. The, and the crazy thing is that the entire fight, you know, she uses so many tactics to try and get Katara to break because that's what she wants. She wants Katara to use bloodbending to develop that skill and use it. Um, and so that's why when she loses, quote unquote, to Katara, because Katara uses the bloodbending on her to subdue her, like she is happy. She's like literally cackling as she's being taken away in chains because she knows that she is one. She has permanently altered Katara as a person because she forced her to do something that she didn't want to do. And it, yeah, it's, it's so messed up, <laughs> but it's, it's really, <laughs> it's <great>. so awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's messed up, but it's awesome. Uh, we live for the darkness. So. Um, yes. Yeah, and I mean, the episode as a whole, like, the atmosphere is so great. The colors are fantastic. The animation's beautiful, as always. Um, the fight is awesome. I don't know if you noticed, 
but in this is one of those things kind of like when Aragorn kicks the helmet and he breaks his toe and so his scream is real that like everybody knows this fun fact in the fandom it's been talked about to death but in uh the fight between Hama and Katara when she sends that giant water wave and Katara stands her ground and basically redirects it that is an earthbending move. And that's why Hama is so surprised because instead of like just throwing it back at her as waterbenders do, because that's what they do. They redirect their, um, you know, their she ending. stands her ground. Right, exactly. And she causes that gorgeous giant wave of water. And it's just like, yeah, this is another example of the benders learning from the other elements to, you know, enhance their skills. And so, um, it's just a great moment because the entire fight, they're just throwing water back and forth at each other, not really hitting, but just redirecting. But that's the one time that Katara is like, nope. And she just stops that water wall right in its tracks, just like Toffwood. Which is which kind of brings me back to what I was saying about these two episodes, that while the previous episode can be, you know, kind of written down as filler, which arguably it is, I feel like it really serves to enhance the episode, because even in details like that, you see a Toph influence on Katara, and the previous episode has that fresh in our mind, because Toph and Katara's relationship is so central um, in the last episode. Um only because if, if that last episode wasn't either where it was in the series or wasn't made, I feel like, it, I, again, I still feel like something would be intrinsically lacking. Mm -hmm. um, so these episodes, to me, make a real strong like two-parter mentally for me, um, which is why I enjoy them both so well. And it was such a good you know, stroke of fate that I'd be watching them both together and you know, reviewing them both in the same podcast episode. Mm -hmm. So what would you rank the Puppet Master? Honestly, I got to give it the same. I got to give it a 9.1. All right. Um, I, I'll give it the same. I think that this is definitely a nine or above. Um, I don't think it's quite like when I was a kid, this was one of my favorites just because I love horror so much. But as an adult, maybe it's just because I've seen it so much that, you know, I've watched the other episodes and have been like, you know, I didn't watch this as much as a kid, but I kind of like this even more. Um, so I think that it is still worthy of a nine or above so i'll i'll give it the same a 9.1 out of 10. avatar as a series still continues to surprise me with how versatile the series is with the tones of the episodes mm -hmm. some episodes are like purely played for laughs and lighthearted stuff and some heartfelt lessons others are just like soul crushing drama other ones are just pretty much pure action like the episode with the drill for example mm -hmm. um and then you have episodes like this where we're taking like a a deep heavy very disturbing horror element and built it into everything on the heels of a pretty wholesome previous episode mm -hmm. you know and and yet i can look at them and be like yeah these two these two things go together you know it's it two great tastes that taste great together it, it all together makes a very cool arc overall and being able to you know grab those handfuls of of the show whether they are planned two-parters or like this, where it's just like, yeah, these episodes totally could have been a two-parter in a way if they wanted them to be. Like, I think it it really, again, stands to testament just how well made the series is and how good the writing overall is. Mm -hmm. And now we only have one more episode until we get to the Day of Black Sun Part 1 and 2, so... No, really? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, wow! <laughs> 
Okay, well, Todd.exe has stopped working. Literally. Yeah, no, I think that what's going to have to happen is that we're going to have to do three episodes because, like, three episodes in one podcast episode because we've got Nightmares and Daydreams, which is the next episode, and then mm. we've got Invasion of the Black Sun, part one and two, which are, it's basically a 45-minute okay. episode. So right. we'll just have to, it's going to be a longer-than-usual episode, I feel like, because we can't break up the invasion, obviously. Man, what are we going to do then? Just the final episode by itself then? Yeah, yeah. So like the the final, Man. the finale will be four episodes that we'll just do as one, basically like the movie, the Avatar movie that we did. Um, but just Sosin's Comet, part one through four. It's going to be so awesome. Man, this, <laughs> that's that's incredible. Well, now I can't wait for that. <laughs> it, as, right. if, as if the show wasn't constantly pushing me forward, being like, I can't wait for this, I can't wait for this. Well, now we know how we're going to do the finale already, so... It's all led up to this. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.